While Andrew and Craig believe the joy of discovery is crucial to enjoying any well-told tale, they will not shy away from spoiling specific story beats when necessary. Plus, these are books you should have read by now. Tell me about the snow, Craig. Uh, I haven't done any measurements outside, but it is freaking snowing. <laughs> You're gonna take your instruments out later and get, get some uh, get some data. I love snow so much. I should get some snow measuring instruments. I think it's probably just like a bucket with inches marked on it. I Why think, you love snow so much? I don't know. Ever since I've known you, you've loved snow. I like, just think a it's. Lot. I think it's really pretty. I like being in the snow. Um, I have a lot of fond memories of playing out in the snow as a kid. Yeah. And as, as many people know, I'm basically just a large child sometimes. Um, (laughs) sometimes, sometimes, uh, so yeah, I have not, I have not forsook my childhood passions, including snow. Um, but yeah, I don't know. Also, I did not drive until after college. Okay, so you didn't experience that part of snow that everybody hates. Yeah, <laughs> like and even then, yeah, I've it. never owned a car, so like, it has never been part of my life to like. I've only had one bad snow driving experience, um, where I'd I'd gone um, a couple hours north of the city to go see our college choir perform like two or three years ago, and I had to return the car I was borrowing uh, the next like that night. And uh, a snowstorm hit during the concert, and I was like, "Nope, I gotta drive. We gotta go." <laughs> and everyone was like, "No, you could, you could totally crash with someone. It, it's okay." And I was like, "No, I gotta go." And uh, it was terrible. That was bad. Uh, Sounds bad. Two lane highway, snowing like the Dickens, snowing like Dickens Village up in there. Um, but I do really like it, and we haven't had a real good snow on the East Coast this year yet. There's been a lot of chilly rain, which is like the worst weather. That's, yeah, that's, it's really close to snow. It's within 20 degrees of being snow, but it's really terrible. Well, and it's when it, when it gets within five degrees of being snow and it's just hitting you in the face and you're like, this Ugh. feels a little harder than rain, but it's not even hail. This is the pits and it's windy. Oh, it's At so least bad. hail can be cool. Yeah. Like hail can break stuff yeah as long as i'm not as long as breaking I'm, stuff is cool as long as i'm not outside i'm totally down with hail because i'm like what 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 weird uh piece of reference are they going to use for how big it was this oh, i saw a piece of hail as big as a trash can as big as a small frog it killed a guy yeah <laughs> i mean if you know someone who's killed by hail i'm very sorry yeah that's that's insensitive craig yeah should we move on to the show yeah let's let's, let's do you're this. running out of steam i can <laughs> oh god Andrew's on borrowed time. He's got I'm gonna that. Make it. You, I'm gonna make it. Uh, you got a cold, Andrew? Is that what's going on? I hope so. Usually, I don't get coughing colds, but mm. this one, like all of a sudden last night, I started feeling it in my lungs, and now it's like all it's it's getting worse. So uh, before we start this, this is show, probably the last time I'll have a voice. Okay, for like the, the next sh- week. show's done. Andrew's gonna die. I was reading about that cat virus, that cat, that kitty litter virus that people get in their brains. Oh yeah, because you're yeah you're not supposed to scoop your cat box while you're pregnant, <laughs> and but even if but then you'll get that virus in your brains and it when it first gets you it feels like a cold so maybe that's what's happening to you right now. Yeah, maybe I have crazy cat litter brain bacteria. What are you saying? I don't know. Let's start the show. Welcome to Overdue, a uh, podcast about the books you've been meaning to read. My name is Craig. My name's Andrew. And each week we talk about kitty litter and snow, and then we talk about the books that one of us has read since the last episode. Uh, and I'll apologize that we missed an episode last week, if you are following us chronologically. But we're back at it. We're ready to go. Andrew is fighting through illness to bring us uh, tales of the books that he read. Yeah. Yeah, I am. Okay, so I read I read J.D. Salinger's Franny and Zoe, which is, collect, is like published as one book, but it's actually 
a short story called Franny and then a novella called Zoe. Like neither is very long, but Zoe's like three times as long as Franny is. Now they're re- they're related stories though. They're not like here's yes. two stories yeah, yeah. that I wrote by J.D. Salinger. Yeah, this it requires a lot of ex- explanation. Like even apart from Salinger himself, who's kind of an interesting guy, and we'll we'll talk about him in a little bit. Yeah. But um, Franny and Zoe are both the youngest children of this fictitious glass family. You know, that's their surname. Okay, they're not that, made um, of glass. No, no, no. Okay. That Salinger wrote a bunch of stories about. Like, all through his career, he wrote stories about the various... Like, there's the mom and dad, and then there are seven children. Okay. And Franny and Zoe are the youngest ones. Okay. What is and, what is interesting about this family? What At least from these two stories or any like, research you've done. The mom and dad were performers, I guess, but all the kids are known for being very precocious. Like there are a lot of, um, there are a lot of, I don't think accusations is the right word, but there's a lot of thought, I guess, in literary circles that um, many of them can stand in for some aspect of Salinger or for Salinger himself. Yeah, the one, like the second from the second from oldest, his name is Buddy. Yeah, I was gonna. Um, that's what most I people, yeah, most people think that. Buddy in particular is an alter ego of of Salinger. Do the books make any? Because uh, this takes place in New York City, I presume, right? Yeah. Uh, do the books make any reference to their, um, like ethnic background or anything like that? Is that a big part of it? Because I know that uh, Salinger's family was like Jewish and a mix of British Isles and Germany or something. Yeah, like his. I think his dad was Jewish and his mom pretended. Like, was she adopted the Jewish faith, I guess? Like, there is a, an anecdote that I read that he didn't know that his mom wasn't Jewish until after his bar mitzvah. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> what a specific time to tell him. Congratulations, you're a Jewish man. I'm not Jewish. I'm sorry. Sorry, Jerome. <laughs> yeah. Wait, what is, his, what is his name? Jerome? Jerome David Salinger. Man, his books would be far less interesting if it was written by Jerome Salinger. <laughs> anyway, to answer, to get back to your question, um, no, the book doesn't make much of their ethnic background. It's more about, like, they're all, they were all very precocious as children. They were all on this like fictional radio quiz show called it's a wise child what yeah i don't even Does... like from the from the late 20s to the early 40s there was always a glass child on this program what yeah what is what was the program it's just it's a quiz show with smart little kids on it i guess kind of like a a kid-friendly wait wait possibly i'm not <laughs> It mentions the show a lot of times, but you don't like you don't hear it. You don't listen to it. You just hear about how they were on it, and that that like it means they were smart. It means they were smart, and they had some degree of notoriety for being smart. Yeah, yeah. Like Zoe, whose real name is Zachary. He's a he's a boy. Okay. Yep. Um, though I believe Zoe Deschanel is actually named for him. Like I think that that's does not the, surprise me. That yeah, does not. Course, Her sister's name is. is Bones. Like. That family's Sister's got all sorts of problems. Bones, isn't her name? You're like three degrees removed from what her actually is. Bones Deschanel, right? <laughs> from the hit show Bones, Bones and Angel. Bones is her middle name. Oh, <laughs> okay. First name is Emily. Emily Bones. <laughs> Bones Deschanel. One Bones is in quotations, and the other one is. <laughs> yeah, I tried to put it in quotations. Like I heard it as I said. I heard it. it. <laughs> This for for our non visual listeners. Yeah. Um so Salinger. Mm-hmm. You want to talk about Jerome? Was, Let's talk about yeah, Jerome. This, Franny and Zoe was published in nineteen sixty one and it was one of his later Yes. Books well the stories did the stories come The stories were out in the New Yorker, I think, in the late late fifties. Yeah. And that's pretty much that's the only place that he published pretty much anything that he didn't that he didn't actually publish in a book. I, like a lot of his stuff made its first. I saw one quote of his that he had published one or two stories in other magazines, and then uh, they, he was getting edits that he didn't like. And there was a quote where he's like, he wanted to only publish in the New Yorker because he didn't like those slicks quote right. at, at the other organizations. <laughs> um, but yeah, this this was um, 
his last story was it was also about one of the glass kids it was about the oldest one seymour who um committed suicide at some point so you know it takes it takes place chronologically before the events of franny and so do you know if those stories progress chronologically throughout the like canon i didn't um i didn't research that thoroughly like i'm sure that you could arrange them in a rough timeline but i think the like knowing the events is maybe a little more important than knowing cool 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 events that occur but yeah so salinger wrote his his most famous book is catcher in the rye which was published in 1951 and that became such a success that it pretty much turned him off of fame. Like he spent pretty much the entire rest of his public life trying to hide from people, like moving from New York City to Cornish, New Hampshire, which is where he died uh, just in 2010. And um, like he didn't give any interviews past 1980. And even that interview was like, it. it sounds like it was... A bad one. <laughs> he was maybe duped or like maybe oh, no. he, didn't, he wasn't aware that it was an interview at the time that it was. Oh, that's the worst. Given. Yeah. And apparently like I'm I'm just reading, you know, I'm just quoting back Wikipedia at this point. But apparently someone came up to the end, you know, toward the end of the interview and tried to shake his hand and he went kind of crazy about it. Oh, no. Yeah. But he really did not like attention. He'd spent a lot of his time trying to escape attention and following the catcher in the rye his his output becomes less and less until 1965 and then he hasn't published anything since now the the urban legend and something that was actually um announced in a recent biography of him yep was that he kept writing pretty much every day for for at least a you know a sizable chunk of his retirement and that he's got some posthumous stuff that's like his estate is supposed to release it in intervals between I think 2015 and 2020. I don't know if that's true at all. Yeah, but... that's they've come out and said that, and it, it sounds like it's like five years after I pass away, start releasing a bunch of stories about the Glass family and yeah, stories like about he's... Holden Caulfield. Uh, he's um again. There's there's another possibly apocryphal thing that I think one of his maybe wives or lovers said is that he color-coded his unpublished manuscripts like red just means publish after i die and don't worry about it like blue means publish but you have to edit it first and like weird so on and so on like if it's if it's true he's apparently got a big body of unpublished work and i thought you were just gonna compliment to come out jd salinger there for a second <laughs> <laughs> he's got a real big body he's got a real nice body um yeah he's some was, he's some sort of crazy recluse um, I was I saw an article uh, I was reading this morning that in one of the recent biographies they quoted two women as saying that one of the reasons he may have been a recluse was that he had one testicle. Really? Yeah, and the even the article was like, but seeing as how we all wear pants in public, I don't know that that would have been an issue. <laughs> Yeah, you don't think that maybe it was like his experiences with fame and in war that maybe messed him up it's, more than his testicle thing? Yeah. I, mean, I know that, that dudes <laughs> can pick strange things. Like if, if a guy, especially in the era that, you know, Salinger came up in, if a guy felt somehow emasculated, maybe that was a... Well, and that's that a huge a, theme in... It's a bigger in, deal yeah. than maybe you or I would would think about right now that's a huge deal in like hemingway's work like sun Sun also rises has a huge like dealing with masculinity and emasculation a lot um and i know that salinger actually he met hemingway when he was in europe when he was in the war and they corresponded for a while i thought that was kind of cool yeah um he met hemingway he dated eugene o'neill's daughter who went on to marry charlie chaplin like it's this weird web of famous people If if we could read entertainment weekly from 1940. Six Degrees of Charlie Chaplin. Oh, man. If Mario Lopez was around to do an entertainment tonight for the 1940s, be all <laughs> sorts of craziness. Um, what was I going to say? Something about... Oh, yeah, because he had a nervous breakdown in, like, 45 or something, which was related to the war. Yeah, I think after, like, right after the war, he had... And and maybe it was just a thing where he, you know, he kept it together for as long as he needed to. And then once victory was declared, it, it all 
kind of crashed down on him. But yeah, by by most accounts, he was proud of his service, but also affected by it in the way that I think a lot of writers of that generation were. Like, I think Vonnegut is of the mm-hmm. same mm-hmm. kind of ilk. Um, well, and did you, did you find that uh, the thing about how Holden Caulfield started off as a character in a short story? That was yeah, he was he was written in before a short story that yeah he the character was suffering from what I don't know if this is a Salinger quote or a Wikipedia quote or a quote from somebody else, but pre-war jitters yeah, is what yeah. Holden Caulfield was described as having, and it's predominantly it's a lot of it is still in Catcher in the Rye. It's like the ice skating scene where he's saying to the girl that he wants to get out of New York and stuff like that. But then it wasn't published until after World War II. Yeah. Um, just thought that was interesting that even before the war, he had a lot of trepidation about it. I mean, he went to a, a military academy not far from where I grew up, actually. I went, really? I went swimming there once as a kid on like a <laughs> camp trip. Uh, and then when I got to high school and they were like, yeah, J.D. Salinger went to Valley Forge Military Academy. I was like, oh, my God, I've been there. <laughs> you know, neat little neat little nuggets of information. Yeah, yeah neat little nuggets. Um, we can talk a little that bit. That should be the name of our <laughs> podcast. Neat little nuggets. <laughs> um, there's other trivia to discuss about him, but I think we should dive into the book. Before we get yeah, too far just, away, yeah, just from know it. that Salinger is an interesting dude, and and to read any of his stuff is like it's really informative to also know the, the stuff about the person who wrote it, and I'm I'm sure that's true of anybody, but Salinger's got like like his story is kind of a myth at this point, almost. You know, like he's the he's the prototypical or the stereotypical author or archetypical. Pick one, you're fine. Yeah, he's the he's the <laughs> archetype of the author who like, or the, just the famous person who gets who gets really famous and get and blows up in the public eye and then hates it and can't can't deal with it and doesn't want to deal with it. Well, it, I was and there's also that that stereotype of the famous famous reclusive author has a big bunch of undiscovered work that's gonna be that's all gonna be released after he dies and it's gonna be great. Like I think people were thinking that for michael jackson for a while Mm. after it you know Mm -hmm. before it became clear that most of the stuff that didn't make it onto his albums didn't make it on for a reason (laughs) yeah totally well i was going to bring this quote up later but it seems to make sense now i was reading one of the obituaries for salinger and there was a quote about a quote from gore vidal who said that his exile salinger's exile lent his work a seriousness that it didn't deserve (laughs) that this kind of air of mystery about Salinger and you know the semi-autobiographical nature or at least lens of a lot of the work uh lends it this whole kind of air of mystery or intrigue that maybe if he was just out there talking about it all the time it wouldn't exist you know what I mean yeah, and that's a, that's that's interesting, and I think that's a good springboard yeah. into talking about the actual book. Is that one of the things that I thought was interesting about Franny and Zoe is that as Salinger, as like time goes on, as he publishes stuff following Catcher in the Rye, there is kind of a critical backlash against him because there's a there's a feeling, I guess, among critics that his stories became less like stories as time went on and more like just kind of more shapeless, formless dumping grounds for whatever religion it was that he happened to be subscribing to at that moment. Well, and a lot of that was <laughs> like supposed maybe to be Zen, Zen Buddhism, right? Hmm? Was, I think it was supposed to be, he started getting very interested in Zen Buddhism and yeah, other like, Eastern philosophies. And, yeah, Eastern Eastern stuff in general, and that's that's a big part of Franny. And so oh, great. Is, oh, yeah, okay. So let's start with Franny, which is the short story. Okay, who's Franny? Um, Franny Glass is the youngest child of the Glass family. She's about 20, and um, she's dating a guy named Lane, who I think goes to Harvard, only because they talk about the Yale game, and I know that Harvard and like That's a big Harvard thing. and Yale yeah. are, the, are the thing. Good job, Andrew. Knowing about college yeah. sports. Good job. Deduction. <laughs> um, so Franny goes, you know, she takes a train in from New York to Harvard to see Lane, and he's talking to her about like a paper that he wrote and some very like 
academic things and just kind of monopolizing the conversation. And Franny is very like very quiet and she's not eating anything and she's very pale and she goes into the bathroom and cries and then comes back out and then starts talking about this book that she's been reading called The Pilgrim's Way, I believe it's called. Okay. And it's about... um, it's about something called the Jesus prayer where you like you you pray to to Jesus just like silently over and over and over again until you like internalize it and find enlightenment basically. Okay. So kind of like the secret? I don't know but if for it's Jesus? like the secret. <laughs> Here's a side note, you should read the secret for your next episode. <laughs> I, I don't know what you're getting. I I will read it for the show. I don't have I I would have to find it. I would get a copy. But well, if you just if you want to read it badly enough, the book will come to you. <laughs> oh, did I just ruin the secret? Oh no! Oh no! <laughs> okay, so Pilgrim's she, Way. She, yeah, she explains to him this this book, and she's you know she's still really pale and. She gets up to go to the bathroom again and she faints. And when she comes to, she wakes up and she starts, you know, repeating this mantra to herself over and over. And that's the end of the story. What? Yeah. And so I can, I can like reading the criticism of some of his later work after having read Franny and Zoe, I totally do get what people are getting at when they say that these stories aren't really stories so much. Like, so wait, go back. Can know. you go through that again? Can you re- can you just boil that down to like three sentences for me again? I feel like I missed um, something, but I probably didn't. They're at the, they're they're waiting for the Yale game. They're waiting. Yeah, they're in a cafe. Lane is is boring her with some academic conversation that she doesn't care about. Uh huh. She tells him about this book that she's been reading. Mm-hmm. She faints. And then when she comes to, she starts repeating this mantra to herself over and over again. And it's kind of like you find in Zoe, in the book, Zoe, that it's, you know, this is some kind of breakdown that she's having. Okay. Like a, I, I, a relatively minor breakdown, but still like a emotional and religious breakdown. Okay. So that's the deal. That's Franny. I don't, I don't know that I have a lot to say about that. What? Hmm. How did you feel when it was over? I was like, what? (laughs) (laughs) And for like the first quarter of Zoe, too, I was a little like, what? Because it's just these these glass kids who have a very inflated opinion of themselves. And I was just trying to find the thread. And I don't know that I even did by the end of Zoe. But um, like one thing that I really did like... It, and something that critics also, I guess, like about Salinger is his dialogue is is very good. Like yes. he has people, people speak in specific ways with specific like verbal tics, and they sometimes like repeat phrases, and they they do things that actual people do in in dialogue. Like Zoe always calls Franny buddy. Like that's his <laughs> yeah. that's his like sibling name for her, and it just the first time he says it, it sounds like some term of endearment that's like so old that nobody even remembers why it exists anymore it's just a yeah it's just part of her speech pattern and it's when you see that on the page sometimes i i enjoy that on the page and sometimes i'm annoyed because it feels like too much you know what i mean like sometimes he verbal, strikes a good yeah he strikes a good balance i think and and something that i actually thought was interesting about this book is um there are a lot of sections where it just it feels like a play with really specific and elaborate stage direction. Oh, fair. Yeah. Yeah, like the the dialogue I th- I could I could see on a stage and then just the stuff in between the dialogue like Franny petting this cat and picking fleas off of it and stuff is all just like stage direction. I haven't read I don't think I've read Catch in the Rye since I read it in school. I don't really remember his prose style too much. Like, is he doing a lot of description or is it more if he's taking time for prose that's not dialogue, it's mostly characters acting, like doing there, things? There is a lot of really specific description. And there's like there's this this room that a lot of Zoe takes place in 
like their living mm-hmm. room that's very crowded with old furniture and the carpet is kind of stained and at one point Zoe is looking up at the ceiling at like a brown stain and Salinger says that he he made it himself with some root beer and a squirt gun like 20 years ago what <laughs> which i thought was a, a nice little <laughs> detail yeah i wonder if that because who among us didn't try to put something in a squirt gun that didn't belong in it um I, did you ever i did not myself there was once a kid on my playground who took one of our squirt guns and put something in it they pee in it he did yes <laughs> uh and this was this was after we had watched him uh pee down a slide like a tube slide man he, this kid is full of pee and then we we left after that happened and my friend was like oh i left my i left my squirt gun up at the playground let me go, let's go back and this Bully, this pee bully, for lack of a better word, was like walking away. Pee shooter. <laughs> was that's the that's the squirt was, after. Was walking away with his friend, and as my buddy went and got uh, his gun, the the kid turned around and was like, "That's my pee," and then like walked away like a champ. We told we we told my friend's aunt, and she called the cops. <laughs> Oh, what? <laughs> so a cop took down our statement that we watched this kid pee on public property. I don't know what else happened after that. He was trying as adult. He he's still. <laughs> he still he's walks still in, He's still in jail. Just counting the days till he get out and exact his his vengeance. <laughs> My little brother put sand in a squirt gun once. Sand? Trying to get it to squirt sand, but it just ended up totally ruining it oh yeah it would never work again you couldn't pump the pump anymore it was a super soaker so you had to pump it before you could shoot it did you ever have those childhood fantasies of of making like a flamethrower from a a squirt gun i never did i mean we we knew it wouldn't work (laughs) did you we knew it wouldn't work because i mean i came up in like rural ohio so the thing that kids did is shoot actual guns well, it was like potato guns. <laughs> oh, we had potato thing. guns. Like you'd put hairspray in it or something, and yeah. you light it, and that would launch the potato. It was a PVC cannon. Incredibly dangerous. Have you never done that? No. Oh never man, done that. my friend's dad took us to like a baseball field where his a bunch of his friends were doing it. They were all in like their forties, and they had this giant <laughs> PVC pipe that had like a motor in it that was like it was like uh it would propel. It was like buzzing the whole time, and it would propel the, the potato. But what you, right, because like the cool thing about doing that as an adult with like money is that you can make it. You can kind make of it as elaborate as you want. Yeah. And so there, you would open the back, you'd shove the potato in, and you'd spray a bunch of hairspray in there. And then there was a little igniter button that would like spark, and then that would fight. It would shoot up the hairspray, and then the potato would go flying out. My friend hit the foul pole on the, in the baseball field with it. cool stories so gun stories gun stories thanks thanks for listening guys we'll see you next week (laughs) whenever i'm carrying my potato gun i'm also wearing my my hat and carrying my copy of of catcher in the rye yeah but there are some tonal commonalities between um franny and zoe and catcher in the rye like holden caulfield is obsessed with people who are not genuine um he calls them phonies yes. a lot which i think is if you've read catcher in the rye at all that's like the one thing that you remember phonies about it, phonies phonies. phonies all the time and in that book it's funny because holden caulfield is like never honest with anybody and he's such a little <laughs> jerk he's like so self-absorbed like he is he is everything that he's constantly complaining about did you feel that way when you read it the first time Yes. No. I don't know what I... I hated Holden Coffee. I thought I liked it. Maybe I just really liked English class, and I was like, ooh, a book with ideas, and there's a... Cusses. And there's a scene with a prostitute. <laughs> I'm into it. Yeah. I'm 15. <laughs> I don't know what's going on. <laughs> and so, um, you know, one of the things that comes out in Franny that's continued in, in Zoe is um, she 
you know, she's listening to Lane talk and he's talking about like academics and maybe he's going to get a paper published. And she just, she feels like this, like all these academic pursuits and like trying to acquire knowledge for knowledge's own sake. And like, people are just not being genuine. And so she hates them and something that comes out like an element of both of their characters and something that um, their mom points out to Zoe during this long and kind of funny scene in the bathroom where he's in the tub and she's talking to him and she won't leave (laughs) is that um, Zoe doesn't know how to talk to people he doesn't like. Oh, interesting. And I think that's, that's usually seen as being um, autobiographical. Yeah, that's fair. I can see that. Yeah. Yeah. I guess, yeah, that's, I mean, that's a very human thing, though, right? It's just in Salinger and probably Zoe's case, it's to an extreme. Yeah. Like, it is, sometimes it's harder to to know what to say to someone that you maybe don't care for or would just rather not be around for whatever yeah, reason. Yeah, or you start doing this thing, and I, I know I do this, is where you, like, kind of pick at somebody, but you try to make it seem like you're not picking at them or like you're doing it like passive aggressively and i've like, watched you do that <laughs> and you i feel kind of bad about it but. it's just how it's just it's just you coping i understand okay i and i will i will cop to sometimes being i will just kind of defer in a conversation and i'll just let the other person kind of run the conversation if i if i don't know what to say to them you know sure yeah. um which hopefully just makes me seem harmless rather than uninterested. <laughs> um. Um, but yeah, the the thrust of Zoe to move on to the next story, and they they are very much of a piece. Like Zoe is is a story that happens because um, of some, Franny in a way. Yeah, like some indeterminate amount of time after Franny's breakdown, but still like during it, like not so far after that it's not still happening. And. Um, you know, there's this there's this very long scene where he's talking to his mom in the bathroom and she won't leave and he's really nasty to her. Like he calls his mom fatty. Whoa. Whoa. And like thinks that she's stupid and like Do we- he, he occasionally like feels bad about the things that he's saying to her, but Oh man. Mostly she's just she's just trying to convey that she's like worried about Franny and he's trying to blow her off and get rid of her the whole time pretty God, much i don't zoe you're a jerk i don't know how to talk yeah. to zoe he's kind of a jerk and um and he explains to her and and you know to the audience by proxy the the book again that franny's been reading and the the philosophy and it, it kind of comes out that he he feels like he and zoe, he and franny have been kind of ruined or made you know, they're they're made into outsiders because their older their oldest brothers um, Seymour and Buddy like took it upon themselves to teach them about this stuff. Oh, uh, mm, interesting. Okay, yeah. So like, because Seymour and Buddy took a special interest in like telling them about this religious stuff and some and 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 other things, like they feel dissatisfied and kind of set apart from from other people i think is the is the thrust of it like they can't unknow that way of seeing the world yeah yeah i think that's i think that's the closest to being to being right interesting <laughs> thanks that's as close no, as- I'm, sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry that's not really you just pick at people you just do that pick no thing. like i can't i just i can't think of a better thing and i don't think it's a perfect explanation but i think it's good enough to go on that's all i meant come on <laughs> You're such a phony. God. Sorry. I'm standing at this cliff in this field, and I'm trying to catch all these children, and you're just <laughs> picking at me. God. Sorry. I'll stop. So what's the end of that story? What happens? Well, okay. After the after the bathroom scene, there's another very long scene where Zoe and Franny talk in the in the living room, and she she's, like, on the couch, and he's trying – he's – and this is another thing that I think I've done to my own siblings is he's giving very well-intentioned advice and it's probably true, but because of where it's coming from and the way he says it, she just breaks down in tears and doesn't want to listen to him. Oh man. Giving advice to people at the, at the wrong time is the worst. Yeah. 
because he he's trying to you know say to her he he like she goes off on this big thing where like there's this professor she has and she hates him because he's he's ungenuine and like he she thinks he goes into the bathroom before class to like mess his hair up to make himself look more like Whoa. unique or something oh what a specific dig um and zoe tries to like he recognizes in her tirade like elements of his own behavior that he doesn't like mm, okay and he tries to tell her that like you it's okay to like hate the things that are actually a problem like it like if you think this guy shouldn't have his job or if you think that he's yeah like the things that he's talking about and the way that he's talking about them is bad then that's fine but like you shouldn't hate him on a personal level or like you shouldn't you shouldn't hate his hair because you think he goes in and like messes it up on purpose to look more like disheveled and scholarly yeah yeah like you should you should hate the the bad ideas but you shouldn't make it so personal all the time interesting and that that goes back to like zoe not knowing how to deal with people he doesn't like Mm -hmm. well and do you think it kind of sounds like salinger's being his own therapist in a way not to get too like reductive about it but no i mean it a a little bit like it does it really does seem like there are two different aspects of his personality and like he knows better but yes he finds his nature like getting in the way more often than not Mm -hmm. which i think is is a very human thing and something we can all kind of identify with is like who hasn't who hasn't done something that they know they shouldn't be doing and you're or, like, doing it and you're like why am i saying this why am yeah, i or, like you're eating a pizza and it's like man why am i why am i eating all this pizza <laughs> like even as you're eating it you know you shouldn't be and you feel bad but you just keep going you know where i i get that when i'm eating pizza is in the <laughs> middle of a pizza in the middle of my amount of pizza, say I get, say I order a pizza with one other person, I get four slices. Okay. I know I get four slices, right? Mm-hmm. Unless we've reached some other sort of agreement. <laughs> <laughs> but I get about, I get two slices in, and I go, "This could be, this could be my meal. This could be fine." And I want the rest of that pizza. Yeah, and you could put it away and have it tomorrow. But why would you do? And like, or like if you order pizza for a big group of people and there's like a piece left and you're fine, like you're full. Oh man, no you've had like, for you've had pizza. three or four slices already. Yeah, like you're good, uh-huh. but nobody else wants it and it looks pretty good. And what even is the point of putting a single piece of pizza in the fridge? No, it's wasteful. Yeah. So what I'm saying is that the pizza thing is a good way of understanding What's going on in Franny's? I was going to ask what you thought J.D. Salinger's favorite pizza topping was. Oh, man. he I don't think he would like pizza because... It was phony? He didn't want to go out. He didn't want to get it delivered. Like, I don't, it's, I don't think it's his food. I think... I'll, but he could totally get it delivered. Because he used to leave his... Like, he used to let like high school kids come hang out. And chat yeah, with him. but that stopped. I think after after they tricked him. Well, they they did an interview with him for a high school newspaper, and something he didn't like something about the interview. I don't think no, I don't think anybody knows what. And then he stopped having them over after that. Maybe BJ Poindexter asked him about pizza. BJ Poindexter, what are you doing? I don't know. I'm trying to think. <laughs> Isn't that the name of someone who might like? Write for a school paper and be like, I'm going to interview J.D. Salinger on his farm in Cornish, New Hampshire. I'm going to ask him about pizza. Yeah, that would be. Yeah, that could be. His, that could his be name has is two initials like mine. I'm B.J. Poindexter. B.J. Poindexter. You should write a series of stories about the Poindexter <laughs> children. So a question about. Um, so that's the that's the I'm going to power through to the end of the book. Right. And I'm going to ask you. Let yeah, me. No, wait. Poindexter, and then wait. <laughs> Wait, pizza tangent? Come on now. That was a good tangent. I think I thought we we used real life examples to enlighten things that we read about in the book. Yeah. Um the last scene of the book is Zoe calls 
Franny from inside the house and pretends to be the call is coming from inside the house and pretends to be Buddy. Okay, weird. Why? Because he's just trying to get her to talk to him. Okay. Because she's pretty upset with him after after all that unsolicited advice that he gave her. <laughs> and he, um, Zoe shares something with Franny that their brother Seymour used to do before this like radio show that they were on is um. He made him, um, Seymour made Zoe shine his shoes every time, even though like he was just going to be on radio and maybe the people who were listening wouldn't notice or care. But Seymour says that you, you do this stuff for the fat lady and he never describes who the fat lady is what? or anything, but that's just like, but Zoe has this like mental picture of the fat lady who's just like listening to the radio at the, you know, at the highest volume and maybe she has cancer, but like she's getting something out of this. Oh yeah. You you and And Yeah, okay. It serves as that that Seymour told Franny, you know, you should be funny for the fat lady. And the fat lady is kind of a metaphor, I guess, for the unwashed masses, like the kind of people who Franny was railing against. The people who it's need like, catching in the rye. I I suppose. <laughs> but um it's it's supposed to represent, I think the fact that like everybody everybody is deserving of like love and, and attention and like consideration i guess like whether you whether you think you hate their ideas or or not like everybody is worthy of some kind of respect i guess yeah yeah well and that's interesting and that's the end of the book that's that's, that's interesting coming from someone who became such a recluse, right? Because I wonder if he is... Or was even, was even becoming, like, in the process of actively becoming such a recluse yeah. as he was writing this Because I wonder if it's twofold, right? If he's half reminding himself of that fact and working through that philosophy for his own sake, and half, I wonder if he felt that other people weren't extending that to him, you know? If he's, yeah. he's going to publish this work so that other people can read it, uh, I wonder if that's part of it. If he, if and if that drove him to some of his reclusiveness, is is this feeling that people do not extend that to others? Yeah. It's interesting. Yeah, and I'm wondering, I'm wondering even if this is like a tenet of of some of the religious stuff he was investigating at that point. Yeah, and he found that even though he found these things of value in this religion, and he found it, he found stuff that he liked and wanted to put into practice like he was kind of fighting against his own nature well and that's why in in trying to follow these religious things and and maybe that's where some of this the conflict comes from like the conflict within zoe where he like he is terrible to people he doesn't like and he knows about it and he doesn't like it but he still is (laughs) yeah and so i can totally see him or or anyone finding a philosophy that offers a solution to that behavior seductive, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and it's the reason why you have little aphorisms and axioms that you might, or mantras or whatever that you might go back to to kind of keep yourself steady or people who have a couple Bible verses or or whatever text they draw from that kind of try to keep them on the path that they think they should be on, you know, mm-hmm. um, which is kind of fascinating related to Salinger because I don't know, I'm sure you know this, even if you aren't aware that it's, we're recording this right now on the anniversary of John Lennon's death, Andrew. Oh, really? And the whole yeah, thing I, about I his, now that, now that you say that, I know that. And the whole thing about his shooter carrying catcher in the rye and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. I just think that that's an odd coincidence. And, you know, this idea of having certain things that form the kind of the spine of your philosophy or, or your attempt to be a better self or or whatever self you want to be. Um, and this guy using Salinger's own words for that and people kind of reading what they want to into Holden Caulfield, you know? Yeah. Well, I mean, people people read what they wanted to into the Beatles stuff, too. Like, there's all that that charles manson stuff yeah yeah that's all very like 
he he heard things in in Beale's songs that were not meant to be there. And I guess you know the reader the reader brings to the stuff whatever they whatever they want to bring to it. And that's that's kind of the cool thing about books and about art. Well, and is like you and I can can get insight into Salinger and into his characters by talking about how we feel when we eat too much pizza. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I think the kind of that earlier Gore Vidal quote is useful here because with Salinger's work especially, there's less of him publicly around his work. Like you don't have his his output is not equaled in like press interviews and stuff like that. Yeah. So your insight into his work is kind of what you bring to the table and what we're doing right now, which is looking up stuff on Salinger and then going back through the books and kind of connecting the dots, which he probably wouldn't like. <laughs> like that's probably yeah, like, he I'm, was I'm like, get off my even farm. If, even if like my tendency to read aspects of Salinger into these characters is like maybe maybe that's not warranted and maybe people wouldn't do that as much. Maybe people wouldn't see these various glass children as stand-ins for Salinger if he was more public. Like people are like this is the lens people have into what makes him tick. And so maybe they're more willing to read stuff into it than they than they would be if yeah he gave more interviews or like you had some 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 idea of what his personality was outside of out of like the legends about him basically well, like the the stuff that his kids say or even like they disagree with each or other or his girlfriends about. or or wives yeah, yeah. or whatever yeah and i mean i've run across that in a couple of different shakespeare biographies that i've read because you know there are theories about him as the actual soul playwright and all that stuff but then the biographical information is so incomplete that all we have is his work to go on. And it's not like he was also writing essays about what he was interested in as a playwright. Right. So whatever you know about his personality, you have to try and filter through his, his plays. Yeah. And there's all the guesswork of like, well, he was, his version of history is like this, probably because he read this book by this other guy that was con- that was contemporaneous to him and et cetera, et cetera. And he's referencing this play here, which probably means this. Um, so, yeah, we only really have that context for these figures that we don't know a lot about. Um, yeah, you kind of have to you have to start from their their work and work backwards. Yeah. <laughs> Basically, like trying to connect the dots in, in time and and take what experiences you do know about and try and connect the dots like his his war experience or his moving away from everyone and not taking any interviews and stuff like that yeah well cool so that's that's the book and it's it's i know this is another one of those episodes where we spend a lot more time talking about other stuff like mostly the author yeah that we did about the actual work um if you're gonna read something of salinger's i still think catcher in the rye is the more if you haven't work yeah um and there was also another book that he did in 1953 called Nine Stories, which, you know, as the as the name implies, is a, a collection of nine stories. But that's all Glass Family, right? Or um, not some... all Glass Family, I don't think. Um, there's some of his like some of his more famous stuff is in here, like A Perfect Day for Banana Fish, which I think was his first big short story. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, New Yorker short story. Like, there's, there's just, there's a lot of stuff. And that one was made into a film. Oh, what was it called? And he didn't like it. Yeah, that's why it was like you, that's why there are no movies of any other sound. Yeah, stuff. It's, it was like My Sweet Romance or something like that, and um, something like that. And someone got a, like the actress got an Oscar nod, and the song won the Oscar, but he hated the movie. So, yeah, I can't find what the movie fine. was called, but. Anyway, yeah, um, Catcher in the Rise the, is the more interesting work, and the the it has a stronger narrative through line. So if you if you find the fact that the story there's not a lot of story there to be frustrating, then go read Catcher in the Rye. Yeah, cool. go read Catcher in the Rye instead. But um, yeah, like Salinger, like Vonnegut, is one of those writers who has such a strong voice that even his lesser stuff is interesting. Yeah. And like valuable to to read, yeah, and you know more so because we 
know so little about him and their you know his his body of work is so small relative to the you know the period of time he was alive and the and the like, perceived he lived to be 91 years yeah. old and he was he he was writing in like the 40s yeah and the perceived cultural impact too like the fact that catcher in the rye is a staple of english lit and yeah you know as of 2004 i think they they were saying it still sells a quarter million copies a year that's all high school kids which is I imagine. crazy yeah <laughs> <laughs> high school kids in book podcasts yep so if you're a high school kid what are you doing go enjoy your winter break go study i don't know you study for finals i don't know um but if you're anyone else or high school kids uh thank you for listening and if you want to find more episodes of our show, you can do that at OverduePodcast.com, where we also have links to our iTunes listing, where you can rate and review us, which we'd greatly appreciate, as well as Amazon links to any of the books that we've discussed. So you can either read a book that you haven't read and then go listen to the episode or vice versa, or try and stay with us week to week uh, and read what we are reading next. And and with those Amazon links, we do get a cut of whatever it is that you buy after you click one of them. So even if you don't Christmas shopping. buy the book, yeah, and you just want to do some Christmas shopping, why don't you go click on that book link first and then buy all your pencil erasers and video <laughs> games and stuff. And we'll get we'll get a little kickback and that'll help us defray our hosting costs, which is important because I believe our domain re- renewal is coming. Uh-oh. Up, like Im- imminent. Membership drive. Don't worry. I got this. Okay. <laughs> you can also we find also, us on social yeah, media. Yeah, sorry, I was I was coughing. <laughs> you can you can find us on Facebook at uh, facebook.com/overduepod. We try to keep that populated with um links to episodes and things about books that we're, you know, going to be reading soon. And sometimes if we find something interesting that's like related to one of the authors or books we've read, we'll put that up there too. Um, you can also find us on Twitter at twitter.com slash overdue pod. Um, and if you would like to suggest books or if you would like to yell at us or whatever it is that you want to do, um, our email address is overduepod at gmail.com. I think that's it. Next week, we're going to be it. talking about Winter's Bone, uh, which was made into an Oscar nominated film a couple of years ago. Yeah, with Jennifer Lawrence yep. in it. Uh, and it seems appropriate because it's snowing outside. <laughs> Thanks you for listening. All right. Try to be happy, everyone. So I went to see Hunger Games yesterday. I'm getting sick. So, <laughs> Wait, you are in three different conversations right if, now. It's Go just ahead. for the benefit Tell of me. the people at home in case we use this part for the podcast. No, don't worry. I'll, I'll quarantine this part of the show. We went to see Hunger Games yesterday and like the movie, whatever, it was fine. But there was this preview for this like sexy Frankenstein movie. Oh, is it just called Frankenstein? It's called I Frankenstein. No, it's not called I Frankenstein. It is. And I forget <sighs> who the main guy is, but like basically he's a very handsome guy who has a lot of stitches. <laughs> <laughs> but we knew we knew it was gonna happen. First it was sexy vampires, and now we are right on to the sexy What's next? Sexy mummies? I think sexy mummies are next. Unwrap me. Gross. Oh, man. That would be gross. Oh. You have to keep them wrapped. Ew. You got to wrap it up. Wrap it up if you're going to have sex with a mummy. Come on. <laughs> Andrew, it's snowing outside. I'm trying to think of more, I don't know. Think of more mummy jokes. Oh, okay. You want to make some more, more mummy like jokes? Mummy, more, more like mummy sex jokes. King Tutankhamen. Whoa. <laughs> All right. In the interest of keeping it family safe, you're gonna tell cut, me about. You're gonna cut that one. <laughs> we'll see. We'll see.